Hey, I, I just want to wish um, to those who apply uh, Happy Mother's Day, and um, this is a special day. But I also know this day is a day that uh, can be difficult as well. And my wife and I have experienced uh, that, those difficulties. And for 11 years, uh, we were without kids. And so we've struggled uh, with um, something that's called infertility. And so we, we understand in this room, there's a, there's a mixture of feelings and emotions. In fact, um, this is a day that many ladies uh, skip. Uh, when it comes to church. So I, I get that. So with that being said, I, I also want to celebrate with those who are celebrating today. So we want to do all of that. So the best way for me to do that is I just want to read something to you today. And I hope this will um, resonate with your heart. And it did mine. I, I, I found this and then I kind of tweaked it a little bit, but I just want to share this. This is really a Mother's Day recognition. To those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. I know we got at least one of those in the room. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in, in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who are blessed with kids who have special needs, you inspire us. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, failed adoption, or runaways, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things, when we don't mean to make it harder than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointments, heartaches, and distance with their children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experience abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who live through driving tests, medical tests, and overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who have aborted children, we remember them, and on this day we remember you, and we hope this is a place of healing. To those who are single and long to be married and mother your own children, we mourn that your life has not turned out exactly the way you long to be. To those who are step-parents, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who envision lavishing love on grandchildren, yet the dream is not to be, we grieve with you. To those who will have emptiest nest in the upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you at the same time. <laughs> To those who place children for adoption, we commend you for your selfless, and we remember, you, uh, remember how you hold that child in your heart. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprisingly, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart, and we have real warriors in our midst, and we're going to celebrate you today. Thank you. You guys are awesome. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then uh, we're going to get into this sermon this morning. Father, thank you so much uh, for this opportunity. God, thank you that um, someone long ago, I think it was the early 1900s, um, decided to honor mothers. None of us would be here without a mom. And so for that, the very fact uh, that she uh, birthed us and gave us life in that sense, 
Um, God, we want to thank you for motherhood. We want to thank you. Um, someone said a long time ago that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. So much of um, how we're developed and who we are comes from the nurturing of our mother. So we thank you for that. God, I pray that this day will be that day that we meet people where they're at. Whatever that list they were found themselves in, God, we'll, we'll rejoice and celebrate with those who rejoice and celebrate, but we'll also mourn and weep and stand with those who need that as well. Father, we love you, and God, we thank you for your word. And God, I pray as it's preached and taught this morning, God, it would plant deeply in the hearts and minds of people so it'll take root and give forth fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, as you guys know, we're in our, we are the church series, so if you will, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. That's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time today. And we've just been talking about different parts of the church and what it looks like. So I won't do a summary this morning, probably do that next week, um, but the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about um, this idea. Uh, two weeks ago, I know we talked about uh, this idea of eldership, leadership, pastors, what that looks like, what the requirements are uh, out of Scripture. And this last week... Uh, we talked about serving and how we're all called to serve. We all have gifts. We all have abilities. We all have talents that God wants us to use to enhance the body and also reach our community. And so last week, I know if you missed sign up, we had almost 50 new people sign up to serve. So that was huge response. Thank you so much. But we also have those cards in the back, and Matt will talk about those at the end, that if you still have not signed up, um, we want you to sign up. We're, we're going to make it difficult for you to sit in the seat and not serve. I don't know if you know this, but a, a bald eagle, uh, when, they, when they give birth, uh, hatch their, uh, their, their little uh, birds, inklings, what are they called? I forget what they're called, sorry. Uh, but anyway, when, when they have them, uh, after a while, and they know it's time for them to, to sprout their wings and go, they begin to pull out all the soft stuff to make it really prickly. That's, we, I've done that illustration for uh, parenting when they launch their kids, but in lots of ways, we're gonna do that here because we believe if you're here, part of the church, you're a partner with us. It's not just us. It's not like a club. It's not like you pay and you get a membership and all these benefits, but it's a partnership. It's overlapping. We as a church have responsibility. You have responsibility. So as we lock arms together, we're partnering for the sake of the gospel. That's how Paul described it. So that's our prayer, that's our, uh, that's our desire for you. So understand, we, we don't want fans in the sands, we want people on the field, whether you're a player, whether you're a coach, whether you're a trainer, whatever it is, we want you on the field, be a part of what God has for you. Today, I'm gonna read Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, and then we'll talk about our big idea this morning. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have great, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean, from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another toward love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as we see 
the day approaching. Our big idea this morning is this. Because of what we have in Christ, we should strive for a deep intimacy with God and authentic community with others. You know, uh, you're going to see this phrase over and over in this text. Actually, two phrases. One is we have, and the other one is let us. So it's we have and let us. Those are the two phrases you're going to see. Now, what's amazing already in those two phrases is those are uh, talking about not singular, but plural, right? We and us. So right out the gate, you see this language that the community, the, the church, is not, it's, not a, it's not a place. It's not an individual. It's, it is us as believers, us as followers. So it's this idea. And also, if you look really closely, you see this phrase, let us. That should ring a bell for those who read Genesis um, when, when God said, let us make man in his own image, it's this picture, okay, of the Godhead, the, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so this idea that we are to be a picture, the, the body is to be a picture of God. And so it's this beautiful picture of oneness and this idea that we all have different roles come together to really emulate the Trinity, the, the triune God. So this idea of we have, so let's look at the very first we have. We have the confidence to enter the holy places by the blood. Now, I want you to understand is if you go through uh, Hebrews, you'll see over and over, all the way up until this chapter, just this over, over, repeating over and over and over again, how the, the, the whole sacrificial system was really just a foreshadowing uh, of what was to come, Jesus Christ. And it was never intended to take away the sins of man. It was never a way somehow to permanently atone for man's sins. In fact, you'll see over and over where it talks about you had to go in each year, year after year after year after year, and it reminded people of their sins. And it talks about over and over again how, how Jesus went in and for once and for all, when he, he, he laid down his life, he atoned for sins and sins all those who have put faith in him. And his blood covers that. He justifies us. He makes us right. So not only took the wrath of sin, but now he gives us his righteousness. So when we now can come boldly before the throne of God, the presence of God, not on our own merit, but on the blood of Jesus Christ, okay? So now I want you to understand when, when we talk about this picture of the tabernacle, the tabernacle really is almost an outlay of the deepest things in the universe. So let me explain to you what I mean by that. It's really these three, three things that we see in the world. The one is this world of matter. Everything we can taste, see, hear, touch. And that's, that's, that's this idea of the, the, the courtyard the, the outer courtyard where anyone, there was even a, there were section, of course, women were considered second-class citizens in that time, but even a place for women and Gentiles. But it was this place where all were gathered, this, this place, this, this, this sense of touch and hear and see. And also this world of the mind was, was the holy place where they kept the scroll. So it was this idea, idea of, of matter, but also of knowledge, and so we tend to do pretty good, most of us, with this idea of 
the world of matter and mind, the area we struggle with is this world that the, the scriptures describe that only the high priest go, could go and only go one, one time a year. And this is the world of the spirit. This is where we struggle. This is where we, the world doesn't understand. Okay? So when we talk about we have, we need to understand that God has done away with the tabernacle system. And it's done away because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And the world of the Spirit is now open to us for healing and wholeness. In fact, you need to understand when you've confessed, or anyone who confesses Christ and puts their faith in them, the Bible, the Bible describes as the Holy Spirit now is put in them, and now they've become complete human beings. Now we become alive. The, the Bible describes peace as shalom, and it's not just a peace between each other, but it most ultimately it's a peace with God. In other words, it's like that God-shaped vacuum fills, fills your life. You are now whole. You are now able to become fully alive the way God intended it to be. So understanding when God says that we have, we have now a peace that the world does not understand. We have a wholeness now. We have a completeness now the world does not understand. But we understand because of the blood of Christ. So we're able to enter into this relationship with God through the blood of Christ. And it says, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is his flesh. In other words, the, the curtain that used to be between the holy and the holy of holies was torn, and Jesus became, because of his flesh, was torn and broken. Now he became that for us. And this is a picture of what Jesus has done for us. And it's laid out and illustrated the foreshadowing of the, the sacrificial system. And then it goes on to say, we have what else? We have this great high priest over the house of God. This high priest, by the way, uh, God is no longer taking sacrifices. What do I mean by that? Jesus died once and for all. For all sins. And so in other words, many times we find ourselves slipping back into this really uh, legalistic way of thinking about the gospel. In other words, we, we find ourselves, when we find ourselves sinning, we, we almost want to somehow make things right again. We, we start trying to do things or we start trying to lay these petty things at the altar of God. And, and God is basically saying, I do not need that. I know you're messed up. That's why I died for you. I've known that since the beginning of before, before the time began, okay? So it's this picture that we keep coming back many times, and we keep, keep trying to lay these petty little offerings at God's feet, and, and God is not taking any of our offerings because the scriptures say when Jesus Christ died, he says, it is finished. It is done. And so understanding we are saved by grace, not of ourselves, but this is the grace of God. We don't really live in this grace that God has given us many times through Christ. It's, it's kind of like we, we see grace, we hear about grace, but sometimes we forget to live in that grace. Let me, let me just try to describe a little bit what I'm talking about. It's, it's kind of like someone who gets a, a three or 4,000 top-end MacBook Pro that can do everything, 
and they only use it for email, okay? Uh, or they only use it to surf the internet. When it, when it has so many more benefits that it could be used for, but they don't quite get it. Um, and that's us many times. We, we find ourselves wrapped up many times in this legalistic mindset, but we need to understand that Christ has done this work He's done it once and for all. And as we see, it says that when he atoned for the, when his blood atoned for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. In other words, he is finished. He is done. He completed that work on the cross. And it is not needed for us to bring some pity sacrifice. In fact, um, Isaiah 64, 6, all our good works are like filthy rags. That's why he despises those things, because it doesn't somehow enhance his love for you, doesn't enhance his forgiveness. He's already done that through his son, Jesus. Now, Jesus, God does not see us. He sees the blood of Christ, and we have full access to him. And then it goes on to say, let us draw near to God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, I want you to understand, when it says draw near to God, it's not referring to church attendance, okay? This is not referring to church attendance. Understand that God wants us to gather in corporate worship, but understand when he's talking about drawing near, we have now the grace of God, so we have a relationship with God, but what it means is this idea of asking, what draws you close to God? What are the things that draw you close to God? See, God doesn't live in this building, right? So when you say draw close or draw near to God, he's not saying draw near here on Sunday mornings because this is where God lives, okay? God, God is, not, is not limited to one place, right? He's everywhere, all places at all times. And many times people get mixed up and they, they want to be drawn to a place, but the church is not a place. I mean, think about it. This is a school that's used five days a week during the school year, right, where lunches, we just talked about that a couple weeks ago, where we were in here loving on the kids, and, and this is where we have lunches, okay? There's other churches that meet where bars used to be, right? In fact, uh, original Spotswood uh, if I'm not mistaken, Dr. Timberlake used to tell me that they used to meet in an old moose lodge where they'd have to pick up liquor bottles and beer cans every Sunday morning to clean it up, okay? And so understanding that it's not a place, okay, the woman of the well tried to argue that with Jesus, that there's some place that's magical, but Jesus says, no, we worship God in spirit and in truth. And so places are not holy, God is holy, and God makes us holy through Jesus and through his spirit. So that's what we need to understand. So when we draw close to God, when we draw near, we need to understand. I think many of us even fall into this trap where we see us sliding, we see ourselves sliding into legalism. We see ourselves sliding into uh, somehow earning God's grace or earning his forgiveness, even if we walked with Jesus for a long time. And what we do is, we, we build a list to try to get us out of that list of legalism, right? I mean, I know I've done that, where I find myself just doing these things, 
and legalistically, and then I try to create a list of something that gets me out of that list, which is, again, a new list. Um, and so it's this idea of, of drawing near. I'm going to ask you two questions this morning when it refers to this idea of drawing near. The first one is this. What stirs your affections for Jesus? What stirs your affections to Jesus? Now, I think one of the things it should be is it should be the Word of God. I know every time I've said this, every time I get into the Word of God, God teaches me something, usually calls me to sacrifice something, and draws me into Him. And the other thing, it should always be prayer. I think prayer should be a part of that that draws your affections. But when we were talking about that, we're also talking about, in general, there are things that many things that me and you may differ on when it talks about drawing near to God. The Word of God should be something we get into daily. We, now, some of us listen to it. Some of us are, are more auditory learners, right? I, I love to listen. There's something about me when I'm listening to it, I tend not to be as distracted, and I learn more. Now, I read it, obviously, as well, but I think one of the things that I do is, is I listen to it. Now, for me, too, some of the things that happen for me when I draw near to God is getting in the outdoors. Some of you guys are like that. Some of you ladies may be like that. There's something about when I get out in the woods before the sun comes up and I get in nature and I see the presence of God in nature, it makes my heart stir toward the affections of Jesus. Some of us, it may be an early morning coffee where we get up at oh dark 30 and we just have a hot cup of coffee and we're able to meditate and think about the things of the Lord and how good he is to us. But what stirs your affections? And see, really, this is not really about, when he talks about what's drawing near, he's not really talking about right and wrong here. Now, there obviously is right and wrong. And we can't say that, well, you know, me stealing draws me close to God. We're not talking about that. We're, we're talking about this idea that there are certain things that God may use in your life that may be different than my life. And I can't put my list on your list because if you try to do my list, then you're going back to the tabernacle, okay? You're going back to the law. You're going back to the sacrificial system. So what we cannot do is put that on each other. Now, the other question I have when it talks about drawing near is this idea of what robs your affections or your heart to walk, to know, and experience the presence of God? What, what robs you? I think it's an equally important question, but what, what draws you, what stirs your affections, but also what robs. I, I can be honest, there's hours and hours of media, okay? It robs me, okay? Whether it's TV or Facebook or some maybe even work, okay? Emails, okay? It can rob you of the affections of Christ. You find yourselves maybe laughing at things you shouldn't laugh at, okay? Uh, you find yourselves getting drawn into things you shouldn't get drawn into. So it's this idea that really unplugging from those things is absolutely essential. Also, and believe it or not, it may be getting too involved in sports, like, right? Like getting body paint on your body for the day of the game. I mean, it may be a little bit over the top, right? Uh, or getting nervous the night before a big game. Like, you're not playing. Why are you getting nervous? Uh, you know, uh, so it's this idea of maybe getting too involved in it. Another thing that I struggle with is saying yes. 
to everybody. You know why? Because I want to make everybody happy. Maybe that's robbing your affections of Christ. Maybe that's robbing you of drawing near to him where you're not allowing space in your day to draw near to him. See, it goes on to say, too, that let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of our faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with a pure water. See, what we need to understand is this. When we draw near to Jesus, in other words, when we come to Christ in faith, okay, that's when Christ begins to cleanse our mind and change the way we think. It's not the other way around. You don't change your way of thinking and then draw close to God. Same thing in our actions. When we draw close to Christ through the blood of Christ, God begins through Christ, begin to change your actions, not the other way around. You don't change your actions, somehow get earn your relationship with God, but it's this idea of understanding as we draw near to God, he begins to change our thinking, not the other way around. And when we draw close to Christ, he changes our behavior, not the other way around. And then it goes on to say, let us hold fast to the, to the confession of our hope without wavering. Now see, again, we need to understand what our hope is in. In Christ alone, by faith alone, by grace alone, okay? This is not of ourselves. So listen, Jesus paid it all. And when we add to that, we're adding to the gospel. And that is no longer the gospel. So what I want to say is this. When we add to the cross, we will create an arrogant, judgmental, lifeless Christianity. And we can't do that. We need to understand that it is Christ alone for our salvation. See, we don't want to create the Christianity that stands next to the cross and says, you better get right. But we want one who kneels at the cross and tells others there's room here for you too. Okay? This is the difference between the religious leader who went in, the synagogue who said, I'm so thankful I'm not like this man, and the tax collector who beat his chest and said, "For God, God, forgive me. We want to be the one who is at the mercy of God and on our, on our knees saying there's room at the cross for you. And then it goes on to say, let us stir up this love one to another. So let us hold his confession, but also let us, <clears throat> let us consider how to spur up one another toward love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the draw, day drawing near. So I want us to understand this idea of stirring up love for one another toward love and good deeds. Do you realize that in this room there's a lot of opposites? <laughs> do you realize that? And do you realize that God uses that to stir up our affections? That one, that make us more well-rounded so we can minister to a greater number of people. But also think about this. I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you because our world tries to tell you something different. Do you realize the male brain is completely different than the female brain? Do you realize that? I love the, the t-shirts where it says male brain. It has a little light switch on it, right? And that's it, right? 
Uh, the, the ladies is, is more like all these cables and wires running and, you know, all, why? Because they see things through pink sunglasses. We see things through blue sunglasses. They're different. But guess, guess what? The Bible says, man shall leave his mother and father and go and cleave to a woman, his wife, right? So isn't it funny how God has polar opposites, the way we think, the way we do things, how relationships and he brings us together, what? For the betterment of each other. It's true in the church. It's true for community. God brings us together to stir our affections toward one another, toward love and good deeds. Listen, not neglecting the meeting together. Listen, this isn't just showing up. This is a covenant community in this place. And we have to sow in as a family. If you look at what he was describing, he's describing Acts 2. Guess what? Let's look over to Acts 2. What is he describing? He's describing at the end of Acts 2, they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and the all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as many had need. And day by day, attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their foods with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. So they were committed to the word. They were committed to prayer. They were committed to focusing on Jesus. And they were committed to this idea of oneness, this idea of unity. See, we need to understand, we, one of our core values here is this. This idea of authentic community, wired for relationships. We believe we're designed to do life together in self-sacrificing relationships that are genuine and gospel-centered. That is one of our core values. And so we're going to be constantly pushing you toward authentic community and what that looks like. See, in our, in our culture today, we have this craving to have relationships but somehow we're not able to obtain it, okay? So what, what I want to describe is in our culture, we have, a cra- we have a cultural craving relationship. We see it on Facebook, right? In this midst of a crowded existence, many of us are still living lonely lives. We live, we work in a sea of humanity, but we end up missing out on the benefits of regular and meaningful relationships. When we aren't in meaningful relationships, we suffer natural consequences whether we realize it or not. And I want to highlight four of those. The one is this idea of, and by the way, I, I grabbed these from a, a book, Andy Stanley, Lost. He's talking about relationships and talking about community. And he says this, lost perspective. We're in a battle. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So our enemy's most successful strategy is to isolate us so he can attack us. So we crave for these relationships, we crave for intimacy, but we isolate ourselves. And then, of course, we're more vulnerable to attack. We see this, on the, the, uh, we see this in jungles or we see this out in the, the desert or wherever you, you have predators and you have prey, right? They, they separate them from the group, the herd, and then they attack them. And this is what happens in real life. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and principalities in high places. And so we need to fight against isolation. We need to fight toward community, fight toward oneness. And then the second thing is this fear of intimacy. 
People who fear intimacy think that if others really get to know them, they won't like them. So they would rather stay disconnected than risk rejection. I've seen this happen. I have student ministry I did for over 20 years, and I would see students who desire to have these deep relationships, and then they would not go in. They would not risk it because they figured the risk was too big, and if they got rejected one more time, they just couldn't handle it. But you don't understand, Jesus is an example for us. He stepped out of heaven, out of the comfort of heaven, put on flesh and blood, became incarnate, became Christ. Emmanuel, God with us, and dwelt among us. And I understand that you're missing out on some of the most important relationships you can ever experience is right here in authentic community in the church. Another reason is selfishness. Over time, a disconnected person becomes very self-absorbed, and it's all about our preferences. It's all about us. Another area is this idea of poor health. A person's ability to love and connect with others lays the foundation both psychologically and physical health. Do you know what's crazy when you look at a lot of people and even recently you see or over really the last 20 years, a lot of these uh, kids who've just went berserk and hurt other kids, okay? One of the main things is isolation. They pulled themselves away. And they, sometimes they've been hurt. Some of the reasons they have justifications for it. But this is what happens when we isolate ourselves and guess what? We can show up here on Sunday. We can worship corporately, but we can still be isolated. We have to get involved in community past Sunday mornings. We have to get involved in life on life, in relationships. So how do we, how do we have keys to community and have this authentic <clears throat> community that we desperately know we need, but sometimes we struggle with finding it? One is this. Put yourself aside. Mark 9, 35 says this, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Do you realize the word servant in the New Testament is used 57 times and the word serve is 58 times? This is where we have to begin to serve and kind of reinforce this last week's message, but this idea of beginning to lay ourselves down and as we serve others, many times we find those relationships. Now I've found that many times when I pursue people and I, I love on them where they're at, and despite that maybe the crustiness of their personality or maybe um, some things that they're struggling with, but I just begin to love them, I begin to see a change in them. And what happens is the walls begin to come down. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. You've experienced authentic community, and it takes a while sometimes. And sometimes you just have to serve others. We can't be married to our preferences. Do you realize there's many things that happen even in our, our church of eight months that I'm not necessarily a fan of? I mean, there's, we have a team of leaders, and there's many times where our team says, I think we should do this, and, and deep down, I'm like, okay, let's go with it, even though it may not be my preference. There's been times where Aaron and I have discussed things about a worship service, and I said, okay, if you want to do it, let's go for it. Wouldn't be my preference, but let's do it, Okay. You understand when we come as corporate, but also as we come as a community, it's not just about us. It's this idea of dying to self, laying aside that. Really, the idea of community itself is this idea of the word come, which is with, and unity, which is as one. So as with oneness, it's this idea of with oneness. So if we're going to build authentic community, we need to understand 
God is calling us to a picture of who he is, this idea of oneness. In fact, um, in the New Testament, there's 59 times that Jesus or um, the word commands us one to another. Just a few are love one another, live in harmony with one another, comfort one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, submit to one another, be honest to one another, be encouraging one to another, confess one to another. In fact, it says, if you confess your sins, you'll be forgiven. But if you confess your sins one to another, you'll be healed. Okay? So it's even healing in confession one to another. Pray for one another. The second key to community is this, a willingness to put in time. Do you realize the things that are most important in life take time. And I believe that's true with authentic community. I believe it takes time. It's not gonna happen instantly. And I know in our world it's so hard to grasp that because we want higher speed internet, we want faster processors, we want you know, more gigs. I mean, we, we want more, 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 faster, faster, faster. But the things that are most important, in fact, if you look through scripture, God's not in a rush. He's not in a rush. I mean, look, look at the stories of the Old Testament. Look at the stories of the New Testament. Look how God takes his time. And you know, God's strategy is, is not always fast. His ways are not always fast. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. So understand that God many times works, but it takes time. I think there's two things when we talk about time. We have to be available, but we also have to be intentional. So it's not just like you show up in a room and you're there, okay? But you have to make yourself vulnerable and available, and you have to make yourself intentional. You have to go after people. You have to be strategic. You have to love people where they're at. You have to be the hands and feet of Jesus. In fact, if you want that close friend, be that friend, and I promise you will find that friend. Do you understand that? If you want that friend, be that friend, and I promise you will find that friend, that intimate friendship, that intimate community. And really, uh, another book, Andy Stanley, he describes this idea of going from the foyer to the living room to the kitchen. It's kind of these stages. When we talk about relationships, when we talk about intimacy, we talk about community. It's this idea that the foyer is kind of the beginning this idea that the living room is kind of that next layer and then ultimately in our kitchen where we're sitting down and we're having coffee and we're being vulnerable with one another. And that is where we ultimately, I think the scriptures really describe we need to be with each other. And then the third thing is this idea of walking alongside people. Walking alongside people. And this is another quote from Andy. He says this, do for one what you wish you could do for many. Do you realize even early now in the early stages of us as a church, only eight months old, okay, that I'm having to practice this, okay? Because the, the response has been overwhelming to what God has done here, what he's doing here. And so I'm just taking a handful of guys and I'm trying to invest in them every week. Pray with them, encourage them, challenge them in the word, challenge them as husbands, as fathers, and then I'm challenging other men to do the same. And so one at a time. And you know what? Jesus did this. Do you know he ministered to the crowds, right? 
But what did he have? He had 12, but ultimately only had a, really a core group of three, Peter, James, and John, right? And so he just found these few that he poured into. Now, I need you to understand this idea of authentic community and this idea of, of drawing in a community is so important. It is at the heart of God. If you read John 17, out of all the things that Jesus could have prayed for before he went into the cross, he prayed for this idea of unity and oneness. And that can only happen through authentic community. He over and over said, Father, let them be one as you and I and the Spirit are one. Over and over, this idea of oneness, this idea of fighting for unity. In fact, when we probably the greatest picture of Christian community is found in Romans 12. And it says this, 9 through 13. Let love be genuine. Arbor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek, and seek to show hospitality. So I'll leave you with this big question this morning. Are you committed to building that type of intimacy with God and authentic community with others? Because it's not going to happen by accident. The only way it's going to happen is if you're intentional and you're available and you go after it. Not a whole lot different than those who have been married or maybe had close friendships understand that you have to pursue each other, right? That you have to intentional parenting. You have to do the same thing with your kids. And again, we're not asking you to, to build those kind of relationships with a dozen people or, or, or several dozen. We're asking you to just find a handful that you can, you can get in community groups with and you begin to do life together, life on life, share burdens, pray for each other, confess your sins to each other. And as that happens, God's going to build an authentic community that is so important to the health and life, not just you, but the church as a whole. And then I challenge you, be committed to be that kind of friend to others, and in turn, God will provide that kind of intimate, authentic relationship that you deeply desire and need. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. God, as we pray, God, I pray that we'll be reminded that you gave it all. You gave us your greatest gift, your son. As we see here in Hebrews, the writer says that we can come boldly now before your throne of grace because of the blood of Christ, not of ourselves. If there's anyone here in this room that has not come, confessed their sins, repented of those sins, and said, God, I want a relationship with you. And I know it's only through your son. If there's anyone here this morning who wants that relationship, the Bible says all you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. We'd love to know about that. Anyone in this room who, who has not put feet to their faith, they have not followed through with believer's baptism. We want to know about that. We want to encourage you in that. We want to share with you what that means, how that can happen. Or maybe in this room, people 
desperately desire this authentic community. God, ultimately, I believe that it's attractive to this world because it doesn't understand what it means to love unconditionally with all our faults, with all our failures, and to forgive and extend grace and mercy and to receive it. But God, in the midst of the gospel, as we practice that with each other, God, I pray it'll be radiant to this world. And that would draw people, all different backgrounds, all different maybe social, economical, cultural backgrounds coming together under the name of Christ and live in an authentic community. That would be attractional. God, if there's anyone here this morning that desperately needs it, but God, they're just struggling finding it. God, I pray that they would be intentional about getting connected, getting involved. Maybe here this morning there's some hurts, there's some wounds, there's some pain. God, that they would let those things go so they can experience your grace and the relationships you desire for us. In Jesus' name.